Well, hi, everybody. Welcome. Um, my name is Jason Cusick. I'm the lead pastor here at Journey of Faith. I want to say hi to everybody that's connected with us right now from our Torrance campus. It was great to be at the Torrance campus just this last week for uh, our worship night. So great that we can be connected in this way. And I also want to say hi to everybody that's watching us online. Uh, we are in week two of a five-week series of messages that we're calling Simple Faith. And if you're new with us, the question that we're asking is this. Right up here. Nope. Nope. Back to the air we go. Um, what would it take for me to live a real Christian life? Now, if we're not careful will think of the Christian life in terms of church attendance or to be a real Christian, I have to pray this way or I have to read this translation of the Bible this often or I need to make sure I don't do these things and I do these things or if I'm a real Christian, then I'm gonna vote this way or I'm gonna have these political leanings. And if we're not careful when we're evaluating what it means to be a Christian in those terms, we're really talking about culture and tradition and rule keeping and maybe even religious legalism because the Christian faith is really less about religion and more about having a relationship with Jesus. So what we're doing in this series is we're looking through a book of the Bible that addresses this whole topic. And, and we saw it here a second ago. This is the book of the Bible where you can find it. It's called Galatians. It's called this because it's actually a letter written by Paul, one of Christianity's first missionaries, to a group of people living in the first century world of Galatia, which is now modern day Turkey. And what was happening was that Paul had started the churches in this area of Galatia and started them with a simple faith, following Jesus. But then over time, some very religious people came in and they were like, this is great, you have Jesus, but you also need these rules and these traditions and these holidays. And they started complicating a simple faith. And so Paul writes this letter to the people, these new followers of Jesus living in Galatians saying, you don't need all that stuff. You need a simple faith in Jesus and you don't need all the other rules and traditions and holidays. In particular, the people coming in saying that you need more were Christians who had been practicing Judaism their whole life. So they were coming in saying, if you're really gonna follow Jesus, you need Jesus and you need to follow Old Testament laws and you need to celebrate Jewish holidays and if you're a male, you need to be circumcised. And you also need to eat kosher. And so that threw off a bunch of things because um, eating together, that last one in particular, kosher, eating together was a big deal in the first century world. And what was happening is people were like, are there specific rules we're supposed to follow if we're gonna eat together? And by the way, eating together is challenging enough, isn't it? I mean. Like we got the holidays coming up here with Thanksgiving and Christmas and you've got the folks with allergies and then the, the folks that are like, we can't have any GMOs 
And you got vegans and vegetarians and pescatarians and carnivores. And like, we're all coming into one meal, trying to have a meal together. On top of that, there's, we've got family conflicts and we've got differences of opinion about what's going on in current events. It can make for a challenging time. And really, the goal of eating together is to kind of create some symbolic oneness. But how do you do that when there's all these other differences that people have? So one thing I can tell you, I'm actually really thankful for um, the church that we're in because our church staff kind of experiments with this a little bit. So years ago, when lunchtime would come, the, uh, the, the church employees here would scatter. Some would say, well, let's go out to eat. And then another group would be like, we're friends. Let's go eat over here together. And then other people would eat in their offices and everything would kind of scatter to a lot of different places. And somebody said, hey, let's, let's have a lunch room. So we opened up one of the rooms here on our campus and said, if you're gonna have lunch, just come eat here. So we set up these round tables and everybody showed up and then they split up to their separate tables. And they were like, we're the friends over here and then we, we work in the same department over here and everybody had their own tables and, and the person said, no, 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 let's, let's try to eat lunch together. So let's pull these round tables and make one table. Here's a picture that I took just this last week. There's all of us sitting around the table and we're having lunch together. Now, what's really great about this is we're all followers of Jesus and we all work here at the church, but we all have a lot of differences of opinion about stuff. Some of our folks have very strong convictions about food, what we should eat and not eat. Uh, we come from different places on all different kinds of issues on current events, but we work together to share a meal together, and that's a way that we stay connected as one group of followers of Jesus without dividing based on our differences. And that's what we're gonna talk about today. In fact, here's the, the main idea for today. Through Jesus, we can share a table with people who are different than us. So here's where, what we're going to read today. It comes from the book of Galatians, and it's Galatians chapter 2, verses 11 to 21. Now this section that we're going to read refers to something that some Bible scholars call the lunchroom incident, um, because what we're going to read is um, revolving around a situation that took place in the city of Antioch, which I showed you a map last week about Galatia. This is the area, it's kind of modern day Turkey. And then here in kind of the southeast corner of, of that is the city of Antioch. And what was happening in Antioch happened around um, a meal time. And what we're gonna read is an interaction between Paul, who wrote this letter, and Peter, who was one of Jesus' 12 disciples, and it involves a meal, and then after we talk through this, we'll find some ways that it relates to us, and then we're gonna celebrate communion together at the end of the service, which is gonna be like a symbolic way for us to have a, a meal together, hopefully drawing us together on what can unite us rather than focusing on what makes us different. So let's jump right into this. We're gonna read the first part of what went down, and then I'll kind of explain it a little bit. So here's what it says. Peter came to Antioch. When he first arrived, 
he ate with the Gentile believers. These were non-Jewish Christians who didn't practice all the Jewish rituals uh, that the Jewish people did. So he ate with Gentile believers who were not circumcised. But afterward, when some friends of James came, Peter wouldn't eat with the Gentiles anymore. So when I first read this, I thought, man, this is so high school. Right, remember how there's different tables in high school, you know? Did you have this in your high school? And I don't know which one you were at. Um, I was with the theater kids and the geeks. Um, I talked to some people after the last service. They kind of told me what table they were at. One of these guys was like, I was with the stoners. I was like, I could tell that you were with the stoners. Um, and, and for some of us, we go, oh yeah, I remember that. And for others of us, it's like, yeah, that was kind of painful. Because I, I wanted to be at the other table or I wish we could be at the same table. When I was talking to my kids about this, one of my kids, I said, did you have this in high school? He was like, yeah. And I, I said, which one were you at? He said, well, when I was in high school, there were only two tables. There was the table of the kids whose parents let them watch SpongeBob and then the tables with the kids whose parents didn't let them watch SpongeBob. And you could tell the difference between the two. I'm like, that's fascinating. In Antioch, where this story takes place, there was only two tables. There was the table for, let's show this next one, the non-Jewish or Gentile followers of Jesus and then the Jewish followers of Jesus. Now, why were there two tables? Because in the first century in Judaism, and actually in some Jewish circles today, there was this subject that that Jewish people felt very strongly about and it was it was it, we could call it table fellowship so there's a lot in Jewish rabbinic writing about who you should eat with and who you shouldn't eat with some of it involved you you if you were keeping a kosher diet you shouldn't be eating non-kosher food so maybe you shouldn't be eating with non-Jewish people Sometimes it was, you shouldn't be eating with non-Jewish people because then you might develop relationships that can turn into an intermarriage situation or a mixed faith situation. So there's like a lot of ink spilled on this topic of table fellowship. Well, Peter was a Jewish man and he used to be concerned about who to eat with and not eat with, but in another book of the Bible called the book of Acts, we read a story about how Jew, uh, P, uh, Peter had a revelation from God. He had like a vision where he felt like God was saying, you are now free to eat with anybody. It's okay because you're a follower of Jesus now. Messiah has come and the law is different now. And so he felt free to eat with non-Jewish people all the time. So in Antioch, he's at the non-Jewish Christian table. But then something happens. It says, when some friends of James came, Peter wouldn't eat with the Gentiles anymore. Who are these guys? The friends of James. James is the half-brother of Jesus. And it seems as if there's a group of Jewish Christians who brought into their Christianity their Jewish practices. So they were um, 
observing Jewish holidays. They were following Old Testament laws. Uh, the men were circumcised. They were actually saying, you need to be circumcised if you're going to really follow Jesus. And they ate kosher. And they were bringing that in, and they were kind of saying, this is what it means to really follow Jesus at this table over here. So when they come in, Peter has this moment. He gets up, leaves the non-Jewish table of Christians, and goes to the Jewish table of Christians. Paul sees this, and he is ticked. In fact, he literally gets in Peter's face. Look what it says. He says, I had to oppose Peter to his face for what he did was very wrong. And the original language this was written in, we get the impression that not only did Paul know it was wrong, but it kind of implies that Peter knew it was wrong too. What was wrong about it? Paul started these churches in Galatia with a simple faith. It's about Jesus. It's not about your religion. It's not about your tradition. It's not about your rule keeping. It's not about those things your ancestors practiced. This is a new day. It's about Jesus. And Paul was working really hard to take those separate tables and bring them together. We're all followers of Jesus together. Why did Peter go to the other table? Paul tells us. He was afraid of criticism from these people who insisted on the necessity of circumcision. He was afraid. Now let me just stop here. Do you know what circumcision is? Let me show you a picture. Just kidding. No, I'm just kidding. I'm kidding. Joking. Circumcision is a male body modification of the genitals, and it is, it, it's practiced in a lot of different cultures, but in that day, it was a religious practice that was a physical marking that said, this man is a follower of faith, he traces his line back to Abraham, and he is obedient to God. So these Jewish Christians came into Galatia and they're like, hey guys, talking to non-Jewish guys, hey, if you want to really be obedient to Jesus, you need to get circumcised. Peter moves to this other table because he's afraid. Now before we judge Peter for letting fear dominate him, we need to acknowledge that we let fear dominate us. There are times where we will not eat with people or we have our table over here and you guys have your table over there because we are afraid. Sometimes we are afraid of what, we're dealing with what Peter was afraid of, fear of criticism. What will people think if I eat with them? Will people think that I believe what they believe if I'm at their table? We also sometimes have a fear of disappointing God. Well, I don't want God to think wrong of me or if, if I think maybe God doesn't like me being with those kinds of people, whoever they are in your life, those people that you would like to have at the other table and not at your table. 
I don't want to disappoint God by eating with the wrong people. Or sometimes we have the fear of negative influence. If I spend time with those people, then I might become more like that. They might rub off on me, and I wouldn't want that to happen. But what Paul is advocating here by trying to bring the tables together is that following Jesus, we'll go to that, following Jesus is a movement from fear to faith. See, Peter was just falling back into some, some old patterns that he had. You know, years ago, before this incident, um, Jesus said, I'm gonna be arrested and crucified. And Peter was like, never gonna let that happen. I'll stand by your side no matter what. And then Jesus got arrested and things started getting a little dicey. And Peter said, I'm not gonna hang out at this table with the disciples and Jesus anymore. So he's falling back into some of that fear. And we all do. But Jesus modeled this movement from fear to faith. Jesus crossed ethnic boundaries. When in his day, when people were like, we're over here, we're the godly ones, they're over there, you keep them over here. Jesus was like, I'm gonna go be with them. Back in Jesus' day, if you were healthy, it meant God was blessing you. If you were sick, it meant maybe God was unhappy with you. Jesus spent time with sick people. There were these lines between men and women. Jesus included women in his ministry. There were groups of people in Jesus' day that were living the wrong way, thinking the wrong way, practicing things that other people said those things are sinful and wrong and Jesus went to their parties. He was always modeling in himself and challenging us to move from fear to faith. And that's what Paul is advocating in Galatians. In fact, later in this letter, look at what Paul says. Paul's theology helped him be able to bring tables together because look what Paul says. Uh, You're all children of God through faith in Christ Jesus. There's no longer Jew or Gentile, slave or free, male or female. You're all one in Christ Jesus. When we move from from fear to faith, it keeps us away from racism. Let's go back to that real quick. Racism, classism, and sexism. Our temptation as human beings and the way our culture is designed is to set up different tables for different groups of people. They're over there. We, who are in the right, are over here. We need to break that down because that's not how Jesus operates. In fact, here's an action step. Could you do this? Could you intentionally you know, practice one way to keep your table open to people who are moving toward Jesus? Maybe at work or at school, there's somebody that, that maybe doesn't believe what you believe spiritually, but you've kind of kept that person at a distance. What would it be like to say, hey, let's have lunch together? Or let's, go, let's spend part of the coffee break together. I'd like to get to know you. What would it be like to open up your table rather than othering that person and having them over there? Or 
Maybe there's somebody in your life that you're both followers of Jesus, but there is a difference that you have that keeps you away. Like they, they don't vote like you do. Or they have some other secondary or tertiary beliefs that actually aren't core beliefs, but they're enough that kind of trigger you and you want them to sit at the other table. What would it be like to open up your table to them and say, hey, let's get to know each other? I had that happen a couple of weeks ago. Um, I, there was a guy uh, that I know, his, his political beliefs and he has, uh, are different than mine and he has some very strong theological beliefs that really occupy a lot of his thinking. And my temptation was to say, yeah, go, you be you, I'm gonna be over here. But I was like, because those differences are so big and so passionate, maybe I should actually get to know this guy. So we got together for that purpose. Hey, we have a bunch of differences, but our faith in Jesus should be bigger than our differences. And I, I asked him if I could share this and, and he said it was cool with it. But it was really a good experience for us. Again, the culture wants to have us at different tables. Jesus is like, let's bring these tables together. Paul lived with that table fellowship mentality as a Jewish man. He, Paul was a very devout religious leader in his day. So he wanted to do the right thing. But what he realized as he came to Jesus was that his religious rule keeping was actually keeping him from a relationship with God. Look what he says in the letter. He says, I died to the law. I stopped trying to meet all of its requirements so that I might live for God. Isn't that interesting? He's not saying the law is bad, Old Testament Jewish law. He wasn't saying it's bad. In fact, in a lot of other letters he writes, he says the law is good, it's holy. It helped me be more aware of my need for God. But what had happened is he had gotten so focused on legalistically following all the rules that he was missing a relationship with God. In fact, he took great pride in how religious he was. He says in this letter, he says, you know what I was like when I followed the Jewish religion. I was far ahead of my fellow Jews in my zeal for the traditions of my ancestors. He belonged to a group of religious leaders in the first century called Pharisees. And Pharisees were the most devout. They were the most specific. They were the most biblically knowledgeable. People were like, man, Pharisees, I can't even live up to that standard. Those guys are so godly. But what happened with Paul, and it's very vulnerable for religious people, is we slip into what's called Phariseeism. This is a unique challenge for religious people. Religious and spiritual people can move into a place where we are spiritually arrogant, where we're prideful, where we measure our faith based on what we do for God, and then we end up being legalistic, judgmental, and, and overly political. And when Paul realized that was him, he was like, that part of me needs to die. That is sin. He said, that part of me needs to die just like Jesus did. I need to put that part of my religiosity onto the cross with Jesus. This is how he put it in one of the amazing quotes from this letter. My old self, that old rule-keeping, religious, 
This is my table, that's your table. My old self has been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. So I live in this earthly body by trusting in my own religious performance. No, that isn't what he said. By trusting in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Paul realized what we have to recognize, that Christian identity is not about what we do for God. It's about what God has done for us. And that's the other reason that we can pull tables together and we can share a table with people that are different than us because Christian identity is centered on the crucified and risen Jesus. It's about self-surrender. It's about sacrifice. It's not about judgment. It's not about separating people. It's not about looking down on people. That is Phariseeism. And that's not what Jesus is calling us to. Which means we need to stop and identify the Phariseeism in us. Identify and surrender your Phariseeism to Jesus. What would that look like? Let me give you some examples uh, from this book that I read. It's called Accidental Pharisees, which is really great. Like none of us is like, I'm gonna be legalistic and judgmental. I came to Jesus. I've been a Christian for 20 years. It's time for me to be spiritually arrogant. No, none of us do. But we slip into that. Um, and I love the quote on the back of the book. It said, is it possible to be too zealous for God? That's right. So I read this book, and it was like a spiritual punch in the throat for me over and over again. So I'm going to give you six punches uh, from this book and I wrote down some notes here because I wanted to make sure that I kind of explained them the right way. But here's six ways to identify Phariseeism in you. And maybe you can kind of make a note in your mind. Yeah, that's probably the one where I veer toward. Here's the first one. Disdain for those at the back of the line. That is that as we have a deepening Faith and we grow in biblical knowledge, we are easily frustrated and annoyed with people who are not where we are. In our desire to go deep, we ignore the people that just got in the pool. That's the first one. Second, a spirit of exclusivity. This is when we feel like we are superior to people. Spiritually, Maybe we have more Bible knowledge. Maybe culturally. Maybe politically we feel like we are more enlightened than those other people are. And then what happens then? Then we start focusing on thinning the herd rather than expanding the kingdom. Here's the third one. Extra biblical rules and expectations. We talked about this last week. This is when usually comes from our desire to love God more. We start raising the bar and then we make it difficult for people to come to faith because they have to know all that we have learned in the last 20 years, the last 10 years, or the last five years. You have to be where I'm at and we make it difficult for entry for people who are coming to faith. Here's the fourth one. A pattern of idolizing the past. That's when we go, you know what? The old way is the better way. I like how we used to do things. I like how, like how it used to be. Remember the good old days. And then what we end up doing is, not only do we idolize the past, but we idolize past leaders, and then we give them a pass on their failures, and then we over-criticize new leaders 
especially younger leaders. Here's the next one. A quest for clone-like uniformity. Sometimes the more biblically grounded we get, we have less room for people who are not exactly like us or haven't gotten as far as us. And then, we, and then we end up huddling together with people that are just like us and we suddenly realize our circle is actually smaller than Jesus' circle was. And then here's the last one, gift projection. And what Osborne in this book means by this is, this is the belief that my calling, my preferences, and my views should be everybody else's calling and their preferences and their view. Wait, you don't like this? You're not into this? You don't know that? You don't feel called to this? And sometimes um, it looks like a good thing. We're like, well, I'm really passionate about this kind of Bible study. Everybody should be into that kind of Bible study. Now, the problem with this, and this is what Osborne says, I wrote it down here. He says, it looks like a passion for God, but in reality, it's candy-coated arrogance. This is Phariseeism, and it's the unique challenge of religious people. And Paul said, that part of us has to die. Our job is not to separate and get people at different tables. Our job is to bring tables together. That's what Jesus is about, and that's what Galatians is about. Here's what we talked about today. Through Jesus, we can share a table with people who are different than us. Why? A couple of ways. Because following Jesus is a movement from fear to faith. It's not about, oh no, I have to be afraid of their influence. Maybe it's, they should, we can make a positive influence on other people. Is there a time when we shouldn't share a table with somebody? Yeah, I think there are. I think somebody, if somebody is abusive and toxic, sometimes those boundaries are necessary. There are some times in the New Testament where if somebody says they're a follower of Jesus, but they're just living in outright rebellion and disobedience, sometimes Paul says, hey, I still want you to interact with them. I still want you to help them and, and build a relationship with them, but maybe don't eat with them. And that would feel like a loss. And hopefully what that can do is create a desire to come back together again. But that's usually not the situation with us. We usually don't share a table with people because we just don't like them. Or we disagree. Or we've made the differences bigger than the similarities. We gotta move from fear to faith. And then Christian identity is centered on the crucified and risen Jesus. Your Christian identity is not defined by your politics. It should not be. It shouldn't be defined on what kind of music you listen to or how often or what translation of the Bible you listen to or your church attendance, or which church people attend versus which church you attend, or the traditions that your parents had or your ancestors had, or local customs, or religiosity, or your rule-keeping compared to someone else's rule-keeping. That is not what it's about. And if that's what it's about to you, Paul says you need to die to your old self. That's what simple faith is about. In fact, simple faith is a regular dying to ego. It's a regular surrender of that sense of superiority 
that creeps into our spiritual life all the time. So here's how we're going to end our service today. We're going to end by celebrating communion together and singing a song. And so I'm going to invite our, our band to come out here and over at Torrance. I'm going to say a prayer and then we're going to, I'm going to hand it over to you, Alex, over at Torrance to kind of lead communion over here and I'll do it here. So would you kind of close your eyes as I pray and we move into kind of a different space of sharing a, a, a symbolic meal together. God, thank you so much for the invitation, but also the challenge to, to die to our old self, to our racism, our classism, our sexism, our superiority, our religious rule-keeping, all those things about us that actually keep those people at that other table rather than inviting us to share a table. So today, God, as we take communion, we're sharing a table with you, Jesus. And as we get ready to do that, we just want to surrender and lay down all those things that, that don't really make us worthy to even share a table with you. So God, we, we give this time to you as we celebrate communion together. In Jesus' name, amen.